This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So I've come to realise that adulthood is merely the phase where you feel like you are constantly letting every single person in your life down. And it's essentially... The analogy that I was speaking with with a colleague recently was that there's a big wall of sand and sand's leaking out everywhere and you've only got your hands to hold back the sand. And so... So, so hang on, what does the sand represent? Yeah, look, in my head it works. So, so in fact, let's, let's, let's try to be more practical. All right, so the sand's behind wooden planks, right? Yeah. And they're, they're, old, they're older wooden planks. They're not, they're not brand new, so there are some gaps in the wooden planks. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the sand is quite pressurised. I, I don't know the reason... What, what what is the sand though? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the the sand. <laughs> okay, so a, an unbroken sand container would be everything operating perfectly, right? It's gotcha. a sand. So so the machine of life to operate perfectly requires all the sand to stay in the poorly built wooden sand container, right? So the machine of life operates on sand. On sand, it is a yes. sand-operated machine. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly, precisely so. <laughs> and the sand, uh, uh, and as you age, the walls of the machine get more rickety, and it's tougher and tougher to keep all the sand in the machine. And so, all you've got—gosh, this is a clumsy metaphor. All you've got to keep the sand in the machine are your hands. And so, every time you stop one <laughs> sand flow. <laughs> you have made a choice to allow sand to flow out of another hole in the side of the machine. And so, um, you know, what is your email inbox? What is your LinkedIn page? What are your friendships? What are your family relationships? But a series of people who you are letting down by, (laughs) by not spending enough time or energy supporting them and helping them out. So adulthood is a sand machine maintenance exercise that is metaphorically clumsy but when you're in the thick of it makes sense well look another classic peach opener which without you even knowing because you don't know the films i choose for the weeks but you have if it's sand related (laughs) (laughs) it's not but it is about the pressures of fatherhood and it's also a bit of a throwback to a time when we weren't adults and we didn't have pressures and, you know, life was a bit more simple. So, you know, a thing we've talked about, mm. we talked about last week in the Terrifier episode, but we've we've talked about before, mm. is that feeling, if you're old enough to remember DVD stores or video stores, oh, and yeah, man. each of those stores would have a horror section that the younger you are, 
is almost like a forbidden place. You're not Ugh. supposed to be there. All the, the movies are at least, you know, adult rated. Some of them are sort of R rated and beyond. You, they're movies you're not supposed to be looking at as a kid. But they had these amazingly enticing cases and covers. And this is this is where I think things are really interesting because we often talk about how the trailer is the greatest art form of the 21st century. We are correct every time we say that. That <laughs> like, is like down. we are right. We are right about that. Hands down, but the trailer is more than an art form. It's it's a marketing tool. It's the main marketing tool of films now, but it didn't used to be. Because now you can get video wherever you are. You know, you can get video in your fucking fridge. You get like, I don't know why people want a smart fridge. We can get a fridge with a video and blah, 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 right? Before video existed, you know, trailers existed mm. in like when you went to the cinema before the film or on, you know, the home, you know, video or DVD or whatever you, you bought, mm. right? So there was one other very powerful marketing tool which horror movies needed to have, which was a great front cover. And yes. there's some films that just wouldn't have worked in that era. Like something like Hereditary. What the fuck do you put on the cover? Like the weird looking girl? Like maybe. But there's nothing that's going to hook. Like the trailer of Hereditary just gets you. But you, you needed like. You can't put the rotting head on the cover, can you? That it's it, too much of a. And, and like, you know, like. And even then it's like, oh, it's a rotting head. Like, you know, like mm. what caused it? Oh, it was the summon. You know, it's like. It, yep. th- there's not that instant get. You need like something. And so that's a reason why. In the 80s and the 90s, these horror films were often based around a t- like a monster. Like yes. something that you could put on the cover to be like, that's the spooky thing. So like the child's play cover, like you're looking at a doll holding a knife and you're like, sick, this is a film about a doll that holds a knife. Like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Straight up. And it's scary. Yeah. And especially as a kid or someone who's just going there to, you know, just to be a little bit titillated, you're like, mm. oh, that's not quite right. I don't like that. So anyway... Mm. There is a film from that era that I remember very strongly being scared of every time I saw it. Somehow never got to see it because it it sort of disappeared from, you know, home like home video and then streaming platforms. I couldn't really mm. find it anywhere. In fact, I had to watch it as like a like a bootleg on YouTube, but weirdly enough, it was good enough quality for me to watch last night. But, you know, thanks to this podcast, I was like, you know what? I'm going to investigate this film because I remember oh, it haunting sick. my dreams. And so today, we are doing a film from 1988. Peach, today's film is called Pumpkinhead. Oh! It's not about the rapper Pumpkinhead. He's he's <laughs> he's not very good. Oh. It's it's not about the rapper Pumpkinhead. Oh, like so, just the rapper Pumpkinhead is probably one of the more depressing rappers going around. Fifteen years ago, he was one of the first to like sell verses on MySpace, and so Australian rappers would be like, "Yeah, man, collaborated with Brooklyn legend Pumpkinhead," and he just charged five grand for a verse. And so, actually, was, you know what? You know what? Depression aside, that's pretty clever business. Look, but so how many verses do you have to spit to make 500 grand? Like you have to do, you got to do 100, 100 verses, right? That, to me, economic, that sounds amazing. 500 grand, that's a 100 that's a, verses. So that's a verse every three days that you've gone back and forth and listened to the beat and gone into the studio for to be a guest on some like idiot Australian rapper's unsuccessful Peach, Peach, EP. You were, you were 
were you were a rapper at one point in your life. Surely that's a dream scenario. You're rapping all the time. You make five hundred grand. You're but, on but, international but, releases. But he's where's sitting the, there. Where's the? He's standard? doing the MySpace admin, <laughs> and as if he's getting a hundred a year, and as if like shitty rappers from Melbourne are paying on time, like. They'll be like, oh, hey, we put 100 in and don't worry, the other 4,900's coming. Like, it just feels like, <laughs> it feels like so much work and uncertainty and that he would never, ever get it. Um, anyway, look, I, I think so it sounds it's like a, a good business. If it's a biopic about Pumpkinhead, I'm going to get really bummed out. It is not. Today, once again, well, I'm going to play the, the music again. We're doing Pumpkinhead. Is the music going to be a Pumpkinhead song? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, go you need to watch the trailer for this one. Zick, zick, Looking for an old woman. She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. All she can do is take you straight to hell. You go home and you bury your boy. Some folks say is how she's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say it. You're looking for vengeance, vengeance. Say it. It's got to run its course. Now it begins. That is the most confusing preview I've ever seen. I, I could not tell you what that film was about. Well, well, look, well, look. First of all, uh, in the chat of this call. I want you to check out the cover that I saw in the video store whenever we went that both horrified me but also like tickled something inside me that I knew I wanted to see it. Okay, okay. Let me okay, I'm starting to get pumped. Imagine how many people I'm letting down who are like sending me emails and stuff right now who I've said I'd help them. <laughs> Fuck this sand. There's so much sand slipping through. <laughs> All right, let's take a look. Oh, what? Like that wasn't even in the preview. Yeah, well, wait, well, wait, well, wait. Like it's, it's a like that's a pretty it, scary monster, right? I, like it's pretty good, but I, like I hate to be this guy of like, does it have a dick or not? Was like the first interesting <laughs> thing when you see something nude, and no, it doesn't. But it's sort of got a little like, like a, like a very large pimple where where the penis would be. It's really weird. Yeah, but that's super scary. I completely agree because Pumpkinhead is a demon, as you'll find out. And demons were all about, you know, making humans give in to their worst impulses. So, of course, a demon would have, like, would probably have all the genitalia, really. Would just have it all going on, just being, like, crazy. The fact that it has, like, a Ken mound feels like a real cop-out. But Ken mound, let me ex- yes. Let me explain where this came from because there's so much to this film. And I watched it last night. Halfway through... Was Francis McDormand in it? I was like, fucking, is that Francis McDormand? Oh, is it? I know it's not Francis. It looks a lot like Francis McDormand. (laughs) Lance Henriksen is in it, who's in a lot of these films. He was in uh, Jennifer's Body a couple of weeks ago. He was in Aliens, wasn't he? He was in Aliens. He was the android. Uh, Spoiler alert, but I mean, everyone's... (laughs) (laughs) You've all seen it. But but here's the connection to that. This is what's fucking interesting. So this film was the uh, directorial debut of a guy called Stan Winston. Now, Stan Winston is a legendary special effects makeup artist. He did the makeup for the Terminator series, Sick. for Jurassic Park. He did the like he didn't design the aliens, but he did the makeup mm. for the alien series, for the Predator series. He's won four Academy Awards. If you go to his Wikipedia page, it's a picture of him sitting next to Michael Jackson at Cannes. Like he was a big deal. So 
this film must have been like like this film was either like yes let's see what he can do or oh like oh fuck Stan's been asking us for so long to make a movie <laughs> let's just make his fucking pumpkin head movie but like e- either way the heritage behind this movie is insane I love Stan pitching it as well he's like guys like we really need to like have, have I told you look have I even told you the title <laughs> you know it's like yes Stan thanks thanks mate Let's, we've got a Terminator sequel coming up but uh, we'll, like, we'll talk about it after that Peach, also looking again at, uh, at, at Pumpkinhead on the cover okay. of that, besides Adele, you're the other person in my life who, you know, introduces me to food things. That looks more like a Japanese pumpkin head rather than a classic American pumpkin head, would you say? Well, I'd also say I can't really get the pumpkin element to it as well. Like, I'm not sure how Japanese it looks because you know how, um, uh, what's the name for giant monsters? Like the Japanese giant monster vibe kai, kai, kaiju or whatever oh, yes, it is that's it kaiju how, the, how they all look sort of similar they have that sort of stylized sharkish head mm. like this sort of feels more gremlinsy to me like it, it, it is very much a creature of its time like 100%. it sort of feels an underbite and it's not supremely threatening like it sort of feels a little bit glued the hands feel very flimsy it's an interesting one yeah, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying artists need to keep reinventing themselves. Like, I'm a big believer that if you create something amazing in the world, that's awesome, and you don't have to be expected to. But it's not unlike the aliens from Alien. Like, he's got a different... He smiles a lot, and I should keep pointing out all the way through, they do. he does a creepy smile where he's like, his, his special effects lips sort of turn up, and it, it's kind of scaring, but also kind of hilarious. Okay, the other thing I wanted to tell you about is... yeah. The inter- we know that inspiration for horror films are hilarious. This was actually inspired by a poem. No shit. Can I can I read it out to you right now? Yeah, this yeah, is a yeah, poem yeah. that the film Pumpkinhead that we're doing today was inspired by. Read it out in the bayou voice of the old witch. Like, <laughs> hey, this is a fucking poem about the thing. Yeah, I should say that this film is set in... The, it doesn't even really set... But yeah, like the sort of rural, country, poor, swampy America. Yeah, it feels sort of Bayou back in New Orleans kind of kind of vibe. Uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do it so badly. All <laughs> yes! right, okay. Keep away from Pumpkinhead, unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiven. Laugh at him and you've undone, but in some dreadful fashion, vengeance he considers fun and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. It's when you think that he's forgot he'll conjure your undoing. My my accent is just falling apart now. Bolted doors and windows barred. Guard dogs prowling in the yard won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will from Pumpkinhead. That's a pretty good poem. I like that. Yeah, okay, cool. I can get it. Stan's like, guys, it's from a poem. It's going to be a great movie. <laughs> so, so, all right. So let's go into Pumpkinhead from 1988. Uh, made by legendary special effects artist Stan Winston. Mm. You've seen the trailer now, but if you haven't seen the trailer before you've listened to this episode, the entire film, especially at night, looks like a Kate Bush film film clip. I'm like, I know that's <laughs> just like a weird reference, but if if you if you've ever seen a Kate Bush film clip, the whole film looks like that. It also looks like a play a lot of the times. Like it is, it, it's it's very theatrical. This film for someone who's so celebrated in the like cinematic arts, the practical cinematic arts, I'm surprised at how shit the like all the practical elements are. 
Well, it just goes to show it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a band like Radiohead where it's like they truly are the sum of their parts is to remember that you can stand a single member of a film crew, but an entire film crew makes a film. So you can be like, wow, well, I loved Aliens and the special effects were amazing. So of course a film that's all special effects would be amazing. But of course that's not the case. And we know that's not the case as Pumpkinhead's, you know, look and feel will show you. But anyway, let's let's get into Pumpkinhead from 1988. Um, looks like a Kate Bush film. It starts in 1957 on a very Kate Bushy windswept night. Uh, there's a young kid called Tom Harley who's waiting inside his farm cabin with his... Uh, oh, no, sorry, sorry, it's a dad. Sorry, the okay. dad's called Tom Harley. Waits inside his farm cabin with his wife and young son because Ed, Ed becomes the hero in the film, as you'll discover later on. Sick. So it's one of those classic, you know, uh, very early country farm cabins that just look like something out of Red Dead Redemption. They just look really fucking depressing. It's lit by candles. The bed seems to be in the main room. I don't like life just feels like really depressing, but that's where they live. The dad goes outside, locks a horse in the stable. There's wind blowing everywhere. He goes back inside and he's holding his gun. And then we, we sort of cut to a man running through, I guess the bayou running through the woods towards this house being chased by something. And he eventually gets to the door and he's like banging on the door and he's like, let me in, let me in. And the boy's like, why won't you let him in, dad? And the dad's like, we cannot let him in. Uh, this is none of our business. And then you sort of see this creature creep towards this guy. You see this You see this guy being sort of, I guess, like pulled along the ground. And then you cut to the little boy who's looking out the window. And, he see, and, and what's different between like a 1988 hot monster horror film and now is that from the get-go, you're seeing glimpses of the, of the monster. Like, so you see a pretty good silhouette of this boy watches this pretty good silhouette of this, of this monster holding up this man by the head. And then we cut to the boy's face. And we assume the boy just sees him die. And then they do that filmic technique of it's the boy's face in the past and now it's the present and we see Lance Henriksen. And Lance Henriksen is the boy grown up who, as a child, saw someone get killed by Pumpkinhead. Sick. Why is he called Pumpkinhead? It's, it's something I hope we come we come to. Well, Peach, you will be sorely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nickname. <laughs> so in the present... Ed lives, I guess, in the same farmhouse with a young son. And the young son is basically the kid from Jerry Maguire. He has glasses. He wears very adorable overalls. He's blonde. He has a dog he loves. He's like the perfect kid. And there's something to just to, to, to point out, though. For a brief second before we get to their relationship, we see Ed using a flamethrower on his property to burn stuff. Now, that might be some foreshadowing Ooh, later Chekhov's on. flamethrower, here it comes. <laughs> but anyway, so he lives in this small... Like, we don't, we don't see a partner. It's just him and his young son. They live in this small house, and they clearly... And this son is just, like, so beautiful and so loving. And let's hope nothing happens to this son. <laughs> I don't like killing children. And, and he has a dog he really loves. So anyway, he also mm. runs like, uh, I guess, a uh, local, uh, you know, uh, convenience store, small goods store in the country. And we know it's, it, we know it's more than just a, we, like, we know it's a part of the community because, you know, you, a farmer comes in and he's like, I need some feed for my whatever. And they're like, yep, cool. This, this does not feel very relevant, but uh, like, I'm interested. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Their small, their idyllic small town life is interrupted by a bunch of city slickers coming in from Ugh. the city. 
<laughs> and there's two cars. So there's like a four-wheel drive of two couples and they've got their towing two sort of motocross bikes up the back. And then there's a convertible with another couple and this guy in the convertible seems like the worst of them all. And she's like, like looks in the back of their car and she's like, why did you bring the rifle along? And he's like, you never know when you're going to need a rifle in the jungle or something like that. But it's just a weird exchange to happen. But obviously it's more Chekhov's rifle. <laughs> Gosh, like Chekhov's having a field day like with this. He's like, now guys, pay attention. <laughs> To all, to all these flamethrowers and rifles I've got on the wall. And we've already seen Pumpkinhead, Chekhov's monster. So for some reason, they stop right next to this store, unload their motocross bikes and start just zooming all around, like around oh, them. And like, that's... they're not trying to threaten them. They're just zooming around the store being like, zoom, 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 <laughs> zoom. Like, and it's just really weird. It's just an odd behavior to do. Um, at this point, Lance is like, kid, go inside, bring the dog inside. I don't think it's safe for you out here. Also, there's there's a there's a there's a there's a small scene where one of the girls of the car because not all the city slickers are bad. It's mainly just that one guy with the rifle who's who's the dickhead. He's like, but, Ugh, small town idiots don't understand <laughs> motorbikes. Or like, what is point, he angry about? At one point, he pays out the little boy. He's like, Ugh, nice glasses for like a six year old wearing glasses, and he's like, nice gla- nice coke bottles for eyes. It's like, what? <laughs> What? Who is this person? Life must be so tough in the city. But anyway, so <laughs> while they're motor- motocrossing, like, you know, one of the girls is like a photographer and mm. there's some there's some country kids and she takes photos of them. And at one point, the country kids start singing this poem to one of the other kids of Pumpkinhead. Just mm. like, just more foreshadowing of, you know, shit's happening. And that that it's part of the community. People know about Pumpkinhead. Mm. And, you know, they're a small knit country community that these city slickers are invading. Anyway, Ed, the Lance Henriksen, has to go out on an errand. So he's like, no, very adorable, innocent child. Please wait in here. But of course, the dog gets spooked by the bikes and runs outside. The kid runs after them. And there's like one of the worst orchestrated scenes I've ever seen where for some reason the kid runs in the path of the bikes and evil dickhead hits him with his bike and skids off. It doesn't even look like the kid gets killed, but the kid gets killed. Um, Hit with a bike and killed. Like, I I mean, yes, like I can see how that would happen, but in the way that it's like... It's not like his guts explode. He just sort of gets knocked to the side and all of a sudden... And, like, he's not quite dead yet, but he's almost dead. Okay. So one of the teens decides to stay with the boy until his father's return, but the refs all flee the scene. Mainly okay. led by dickhead guy, who's like, God, we've got to get out of here. You're going to ruin my life. You don't understand. I've been drinking, so the police are going to get me sort of thing. Oh. So at their cabin... The campers fight about whether or not they'll call the police and they decide not to. Joel, who is personally responsible... So Joel's the dickhead, who's personally Sick. responsible for the boy's injury and is on probation for a similar incident, rips out the phone cord, knocks one of his friends unconscious and locks him and a girl in the closet to stop them from contacting the authorities. Okay. <laughs> he really did need to come chill out in the country, this guy. He really yeah, needed to like, to relax. Yeah, but- yeah, Jesus, maybe save the motocross, Jesus. Um, <laughs> anyway, so meanwhile, Ed returns, finds this guy 
over his son. He's like, what the fuck happened? The son's like, I tried. I wanted to stay with him. Anyway, Ed picks up his son, brings him inside. And like, again, in one of the worst scenes ever, like he's holding, like this kid is like, he's holding this kid like you would hold a baby. He sits him down, gets a wet rag, puts the wet rag on the kid's forehead. The kid's like, daddy, and then dies. Uh, oh, while sitting up. Yeah, while sitting up. It makes okay. no sense. Okay. <laughs> Stands like the poem didn't have many details, guys. We've got to... <laughs> <laughs> we've, got to we've just got to flesh out some of the yeah, details. Yeah, of the like, poem it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, came inside, came inside. Yep, yep, wipe his forehead. Should he be sitting up or sitting down? Oh, fucking, like on other movies, other people make these decisions. I don't know. Whatever you reckon. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, Ed is now basically blinded by rage and uh, like just he's just destroyed by what's happened. So he decides to basically go back into the bayou to discover the legend of Pumpkinhead, basically. So he goes back to he he, he goes back into, you know, the, 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 the sort of mountain folk and he's like, there's a woman who lived in the forest who, you know, dealt with revenge does anybody know about her and the adults are all like we're not going to talk to you about this sir like you've got to leave those things be but then Mm. one of the kids is basically like if you give me some cash i'll tell you where she is sick and this is one of the kids that was saying the pumpkin head rhyme so it all works together sick so he tells him where it is ed's like i'll give you money but you got to take me there the kid's like i'll go halfway but otherwise but it's too spooko for me. So he takes him halfway. Mm. Then he's like, just keep driving up the ridge and you'll find the hut. And then the kid gets out and runs back down the hill just to further be like, this is spooky shit. Yeah, we cool, play cool, with. cool. So Ed finds this, you know, this hilariously lit witch's hut. Yeah, it was strange. There was a very bright red light, a blindingly bright red light in there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a lot of lighting going on in this witch's hut in the seemingly, <laughs> you know, like, you know, uh, isolated cabin in the forest. And so he brings the body of his kid and he goes in to offer her gold, but she tells him that resurrecting the dead is not within her power. But she also does the resurrecting the dead is not within my... Like she talks like it's a, it's a spooko old Bayou sort of scary thing. But Ed's like, I don't want resurrection. I want revenge. And I hear that's what you do. So the witch agrees to help, but warns him like adulthood and sand... That vengeance comes with a terrible price. And he's like, that's okay, I'll do it. So on her orders, Ed go Ed uh, goes to this. Vague old vague warnings are so irritating. Right? <laughs> like, you know, whatever it is, it's like I said it was a terrible price. You know, like it's like okay, it's on you. And it's like, man, you have to warn me about precisely what the risk is sure i feel like that's a very good legal response because you would think that like you know something like this this is essentially a contract right he has yes. gone into a verbal contract that he says he no wants- it's not because to have a binding contract you need both sides to give consideration and do you remember that classic simpsons line from the mid 90s where marge is about to punish lisa and lisa's like mom we could negotiate and Marge goes, you don't have anything I want. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes to the heart of contract law, that, that if it is to be a contract, there must be consideration. Um, and so each party must get something of value from the other. And so here, the witch is just making an undertaking, like, yeah, I'll help. 
but the witch isn't getting anything from it, and so it's probably not a binding. Well, well. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But to that point, the vagueness of it, I feel like surely in contract law, you have to be pretty clear about what the consent. You can't just be like, look, I expect some stuff from you for doing this job. Like you have to be like exactly. What that could stuff be void, void for uncertainty. It might be shag. I think you got a future in contract <laughs> law coming here. This is this is good. But anyway, anyway, so the witch tells him to go to this graveyard. So he goes to this mm. graveyard, and basically tells him to climb to the top of this weird sort of like stump thing, and dig up a body and bring it back. And I can't even touch a dead. Like I can't deal with spiders. I can't touch a dead spider. Digging up and then picking up a dead corpse and and like this corpse is not quite human. It looks almost a bit like infantile, but big, like a big baby. Picking that up and bringing it back to a scary witch's house is like that. That I mean, that is not something I don't think I could ever do. But so long as we're thinking about it contractually, I do wonder if he did his due diligence on this on this deal. <laughs> because she could just be a mad woman who's like, yeah, cut down four trees and eat the bark from each of them and drink the sap. And that's what you've got to do. <laughs> She's just making, making up stuff. So he brings it back. And then this is probably the most spooko scene in the film and actually made... This is where I started really liking the film. Because up until cool. now, I was like, this is so fucking dumb. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a shitty old episode of Buffy or something. But... <laughs> so as soon as he gives the corpse to the witch, he starts convulsing and like going through some sort of a change and like eventually just falls down on the ground and there's also some, there's something like and this is like we always talk about this is not sexo like you know let's let's avoid like any you know anything that crosses the boundaries too much of violence and sex but there's something mm. weirdly sexual about the way that he responds to what the witch does so the witch gets now now the witch cuts some blood from the boy the boy's been dead for a while i don't know if that works like i don't know if that's a thing but again yeah. i'm not a doctor this is not docto but yeah Cut some blood from the boy and pours it on the demon. At this point, the demon starts almost kind of coming alive, but in a a sort of birthing sort of way. So the demon starts growing. The head starts elongating. And we're cutting this with footage of Lance Henriksen on the ground screaming, but screaming in a weird sort of almost like, almost like he's giving birth, but in a, in a, in a, like almost like orgasmic. It's just sort of like, ah. Oh, oh. And and we we cut into the demon and we cut into the witch being like ah and it's just a <laughs> fucked up scene like there's just it's just not cool it's like but but in a way where it's like okay this is spooko and this is this is like I'm glad they went there because a lot of this film's quite tame but this scene is fucked up. Um, you know how um, reading books is dumb and how I'm listening to books at the moment like I'm using an app called Borrow Box. Um, and basically just uses your library card to do audiobooks, uh, sorry, and to do ebooks. And because of my other element of madness where I'm like, all that sort of bullshit, uh, I'm like, I'm going to read books double speed so I can read <laughs> twice as many books. <laughs> and so I listen to them at double speed. It's like Alvin and the Chipmunks. like, yeah, then. And... Um, in addition to that, because it's BorrowBox, because it's the library, you can only listen to the audiobooks that are available. So, like, the exciting books you want to read, you have to reserve and you don't, they're not available till November or whatever. And so, 
Um, I drove to Canberra and back earlier this week and listened to this book called How to Change Your Mind, which is all about, which is basically, you know how people who are like psychedelics are going to change the world and everyone just needs a bit more acid to get along and it's like, yeah, yeah, fucking well done. Um, This is basically a book that is about that. And apparently one of the more common hallucinations you and I would have if we were to have a guided acid trip would be to give birth to ourselves. And apparently one of the realizations that a lot of guided patients have, like, I never knew blokes could give birth. This is amazing. Isn't LSD great? And so on one view, the um, the witch might just be handing out psilocybin or have you pronounced that weird magic mushroom. And it could from here all be a hallucination in Lance Henriksen's mind. Anyway, look, we're back at the cabin and mm. dickhead guy, and, and I'm, I'm t- sorry, we're talking the, the cabin where the, the teens are and some of them are locked in the cupboard and stuff. Anyway, mm. back at the cabin, dickhead guy Joel begins to experience remorse for his actions and determines to turn himself into the police. The monster, however, has already arrived. One of the girls, Maggie, hears a voice whispering her name. Seemingly hypnotized, she follows the voice outside the cabin. Steve brings her out of the trance, but Pumpkinhead just appears and just kills her. Ed experiences uh, the mer- now. Now here's that, the thing, though: like, is that revenge? What did she do? Well, she's part of the, the. He wanted revenge on this whole group. It's not really revenge if they haven't done anything wrong to you. Well, I mean, you know, in the law, you don't have to actually do the action. You can be associated with the people doing the action, right? Accessorial liability, I think. Yeah. I think is the term for it. <laughs> Um, well, clearly, Pumpkinhead or... is also well versed in the law <laughs> and understands that section... if you all flee the scene, you're all part of it. There's also Section 316 of the Crimes Act in New South Wales that I think, uh, and we'll have some listeners here who know more about this than I do, that I think means if that you're aware of an indictable offence, which I think means if you go to prison for more than two years, then you're obliged to let the police know. I think that's how Section 316 works. Exactly. Um, and so Pumpkinhead is punishing them for that. Yeah, that's exactly. why they deserve to die. But the sentencing feels really extreme to me. Of like, uh, the punishment is capital punishment when it could be an indictable offence with just like an eighteen month suspended sentence or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> just give some of them, kill some of them, but then give some of them a fine. And some of them now, it's like, now look, I would kill you, but this is your first offence. So tell you what, I'll let you up. But next time, next time you do something bad, and someone summons me from a graveyard, I'm gonna come back and kill you and some of them he's like look i've taken a look through the procedural elements here and you know uh vengeful dad hasn't made out his case against you and so you're free to go <laughs> congratulations anyway so so Pumpkinhead kills maggie and and while this is happening we cut to ed who's in his home and he's seemingly experiencing the murders through the mo- monster's eyes. So by bringing Pumpkinhead back, we start to realize that he's actually linked to Pumpkinhead. He's not just summoning a monster. He's kind of taking part in this revenge. Now, while the campers search for Steve, Pumpkinhead drags away Maggie and Ed again experiences the ensuing murder. And in fact, I think he does it in a really cool way. So he does some pretty fun murders in this where they all come to the door and Pumpkin's head like, is like hanging like one of their bodies like in front of the door. And they're like, what the fuck? And then he drops it and then they come out and then he grabs another one of their head and he just pulls it up and he's just like, oh, fuck. Like, it's so fun. <laughs> and it's pretty spooky. So Ed, obviously, Ed experiences this second murder and he's like, okay, right. Like, I did want revenge, but obviously... 
I didn't want revenge against all six. I believe there's a court, there's, you know, there's a legal precedent for how they should be dealt with. So he returns to the witch and begs her to stop the monster's action. But the witch is basically like, Pumpkinhead can't be stopped. Like once you've summoned Pumpkinhead, that's that. And Pumpkinhead has to fulfill what Pumpkinhead has to fulfill. Um, and that Ed will die if he interferes with the killing spree. Yeah, like, so when I said terrible price, I meant that you'll die if you, you know, it's, it's like you should have asked me details then. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, you know, in in many ways, Pumpkinhead is a lesson about reading a contract thoroughly and not just clicking okay. Look, this is, this is similar in Drag Me to Hell where it's just another allegory about dotting your I's and crossing your T's mm. of like just making sure you're on top of the details. So Joel confronts Pumpkinhead with a machete. Now, Joel is the, the, the bad guy, remember, but Pumpkinhead swats him aside and drags off Kim, one of the other girls, who Pumpkinhead then drops from a fatal height. The three remaining campers unsuccessfully beg the locals for help. And they have a couple of scenes where they run to another property and there's like a classic, you know, country bumpkin who's like, get off my land. And they're like, but there's this monster chasing us. And he's like, I know, and you're marked and I can't do anything about that now. And I'm just going to run away because Pumpkinhead's going to kill you. So like everyone knows about Pumpkinhead is like a local legend that <laughs> does stuff, which is kind of, which is one of the other things I really like about this. That's a great idea. That's actually quite fun. So now Ed arrives. Now, remember, Ed wasn't supposed to intervene, but he's, he decides to. He arrives and shoots Pumpkinhead, and Pumpkinhead falls to the ground. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. So Pumpkinhead's dead. So Joel goes up to Pumpkinhead to check if the creature's still alive. Pumpkinhead grabs him by the leg and then, like, knocks him to the ground. And then we- there's this weird scene where Pumpkinhead picks up the gun, and you're like, wait, is Pumpkinhead going to shoot him? <laughs> is, is this monster, is this evil monster, demon of revenge, going to use... Like, it's just like, a- it's such a weird shot. But Pumpkinhead picks up the gun, points it at Joel on the ground, but then stabs Joel with the gun and then picks him up with the gun to be like, ah, ha, ha, we've subverted everybody's expectations. Gotcha. His fingers couldn't work a gun. Like, I've seen that poster. Like, surely not. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. They're too big in gang. Like, guns, gun, all design is made generally for human hands. If you introduce another hand to it, that's that's poor user experience. And that was not... Anyway, well, that's that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, look, I do um, like this movie is anti-gun. It's good, including Pumpkinhead. It's it's similar to the scene in The Dark Knight where um, Bruce Wayne dismantles the gun and it's like, guns are dumb, you guys. <laughs> so meanwhile, a local boy, Bunt helps the two remaining campers, Tracy and Chris, reach an abandoned church. I love that we're halfway through the movie and we've just discovered their name. Uh, Bunt relates the legend of the monster Pumpkinhead, explaining that the monster avenges one who is wronged. If anyone tries to stop Pumpkinhead or help his victims, that person becomes marked too. So now we know that Ed and Bunt are marked. Chris's dirt bike fails to start after Pumpkinhead removes the drive chain. So Pumpkinhead's like, <laughs> checks a YouTube video for how to remove drive chains of bikes. How on earth does he know how to do that? That's awesome. He lifts up the bike with Chris still on it and throws it against a tree. He then drags Chris back to Harley's house where Tracy, Bunt, and Ed have taken shelter. So Tracy is the last remaining uh, of the of the city slickers, and she's the good one that was the photographer girl. Mm. Bunt is the kid, and Ed is the guy that called revenge. Pumpkinhead captures Bunt, and he's about to kill him when Ed stumbles out of the barn, 
with the flamethrower that he was using at the start of the film. Yeah, okay. And he's basically like, I'm about to fucking fuck up Pumpkinhead. But then he walks into a pitchfork. And like, I don't know how anyone walks into a pitchfork. This pitchfork stabs Ed in the arm. And at that point, Ed's like, oh, fuck. But also Pumpkinhead drops bumped and is like, oh, fuck my arm. Ah. And that's when Ed gets a bit of an idea. So Ed drops the flamethrower and runs to his car looking for a gun. At this point, Tracy picks up the flamethrower and is like, okay, I'm going to finish this job, burns him. But then it turns out Pumpkinhead can't be burned because he's like burnt, like he just flamethrows. Pumpkinhead, who was shot and knocked down, takes completely engulfed in flame and is like, heh, 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 heh. I irritated of- with inconsistent powers. I was like, oh, by the way, it, it turns out burning me. Nah, nah, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you, can't, you can't do that. So then Pumpkinhead grabs, and Pumpkinhead's thing is like he grabs you by the head and then that's how, like he, he like squashes your head or does whatever. Anyway, so he grabs Tracy by the head and he's about to kill her, but then Ed comes out and shoots himself in the head. Oh, okay. And then Pumpkinhead falls to the ground and Ed falls to the ground. But then, this is again, the inconsistencies of death in this film, then Ed gets up and he's like walking along and he's like, uh, he's like, I'm almost dead. It's like, you shot yourself in the head. <laughs> You're like, definitely, like you can't move. But he walks and then falls to the ground. And at this point, he reaches, like Pumpkinhead reaches his hand out to grab Tracy's leg. And then Ed reaches his hand out as well because obviously they're still connected. So Tracy picks up the gun and shoots Ed in the head, finishing him off. And now Pumpkinhead dies as well. And then Pumpkinhead bursts into flames. And it's like, but, but like, <laughs> as in, like, in to be death like, now- can I burn? <laughs> <laughs> That's in the poem. Now, here's the, fi- here's the final thing. So remember how we said that the witch wasn't getting anything out of the contract? So the final shot of the film, and I need to flash back to the start because there was a whole bunch of stuff, like stupid details that were in the film that weren't in the Wikipedia in which the little boy who's like this angelic little boy who gets killed by motocross bikers is like, Daddy, I made you a necklace. And it's like this necklace of like a little like thing. And the dad's like, I'll never take it off. Anyway, so we cut to the witch who's burying, who's now burying Pumpkinhead back in the same weird stumpy grave. But now Pumpkinhead is wearing that necklace. Oh. So clearly every time someone calls on Pumpkinhead, they become the next pumpkin head and the cycle goes on forever. The end. I loved it. Peach, what did you think about pumpkin head? I, I think it was surprisingly good. Uh, I'm struck by how often pumpkin head is called upon in that very area to kill people that locals are like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, pump, like we know that <laughs> everyone's got a pumpkin head escape plan. Everyone's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's pumpkin head. We know what's going on. <laughs> but look. I suspect that was reasonably good. Like, it looks super goofy based on the poster. How are you feeling about it? Did did it live up to your expectations? If you saw that as an 11-year-old, would you have freaked out? You know what? To be honest, Mm. it's a bit... It's more Dark Crystal than it is uh, Hostel in that it's, it's fun... The effect, like there is, there's a bit of blood, like mm. and like I said, there's that really spooky scene, and there's one scene, in fact, one of the deaths, which again wasn't spoken about here, where Pumpkinhead takes the head of one of the girls he's just killed mm. and like smushes it against the the glass of the window while while people are inside to be like, I've just killed, and it's it's just the Ugh. way that this corpse's face is smushed together, it's just very unsettling. <laughs> I found that, like, I think that's something that if I saw with too much of an impressionable mind would have fucked me up the way that uh, Gremlins fucked me up back when I was a kid. 
but I like it satisfied the itch of what I wanted, which was a cool, interesting horror film. Um, so yeah, Pumpkinhead, uh, like a surprise, I reckon. I'm about it. I'm about it. Can you imagine how many people who rely on you and I in our lives are disappointed with the amount of time we've spent doing <laughs> doing this exciting chat about Pumpkinhead? I'm almost like, oh, like I feel like we owe Resha something now. I'm like, okay, I wonder if Reshas need anything from us. All this sand, I, Shag. There's so much sand that's been slipping through. I have a meeting in seven minutes. So I, I just want to say once again... Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate us and review us and, you know, five stars as if you if you like the podcast. Look, the, the, uh, reason, please the reason for that is, Shag, sorry for interrupting. Like, the reason for that is that if you take value from this, it's just really nice for us. So, like, if you want to sling us a WhatsApp, it's a really nice feeling to read a review where someone says they're enjoying the pod. But but it's part of the contract of Spooker. Yes! It's a it's a contract we've 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 gone into with you guys, and you know, like we're very clear about what you get out of Spooker. Obviously, uh, follow us on Insta as well, and please, once again, I have like such a long list of suggestions. Please keep them coming in. I'm gonna slowly make my way through them over the next couple of weeks. I'm very excited. We've got some fun guests coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. So do keep listening, keep following us, keep rating and reviewing us. Spooker, what's up? What's up? Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And. (coughs) What's up?